Welcome to 11FS Presents Fintech Insider US. I'm your host, Sam Mall. I'm the managing partner in North America for 11FS. In today's episode, we recorded a series of interviews from the Big Apple at the Empire Startups New York Fintech Week 2019 conference. We're invited as a media partner by John Zanoff, the founder of Empire Startups, and one half of my personal favorite power couple in the New York fintech scene. Now, I know you're wondering who the other half is. Well, it's his wife, Maria Deem, with City Fintech. Maria was the youngest vice consul for the UK Department of International Trade before she joined City. And she once told me Giroux was the greatest Arsenal player of all time. Giroux. Not Dennis Burkamp, not Thierry Henry. Giroux. I will never, ever let her live that down. Never. In the UK, listeners, you understand exactly what I'm talking about in the US. I'll do a whole nother podcast explaining why that is so wrong. Now, for those of you not familiar with Empire Startups, the organization was founded by John in late 2011 when they began running the New York FinTech Meetup. These monthly meetups quickly grew in scale and eventually became a vibrant part of the New York and San Francisco startup communities. Today, they have over 15,000 members. The 2019 New York FinTech Week conference lived up to its billing and its sold-out status. We were able to mingle with some of the brightest and best from the New York fintech scene. We participated in great panel discussions. And just for you, our listeners, we recorded some incredible interviews with several of the conference's top speakers, all working at up-and-coming fintech startups in the U.S. and a little-known bank called Barclays. We know you'll enjoy these as much as we enjoyed recording them. Our first guest was Alexa Von Tobel. Yeah, that Alexa Von Tobel. She founded LearnVest, a personal finance website at the age of 24, was the CEO for 10 years, and the company was acquired by Northwestern Mutual 10 years later. Alexa is a best-selling author. She's a sought-after speaker. She's a mentor. She just started her latest company called Inspired Capital. Interestingly enough to me, she was originally from Jacksonville, Florida, where I now call home. Alexa been watching on YouTube forever, the TED Talks, <laughs> name your, read the book, and so on and so forth. It's great to have you here. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks so much. And I know this is a podcast, but if you saw her earrings, we will get a picture. Mindy, <laughs> my wife, would just go crazy for this. It's hard to describe what you do. I mean, I could say serial entrepreneur, but everybody says that. I could say writer. I could say speaker, founder. They're all true. Uh, yeah, it's been a kind of crazy decade here. Um, uh, lots of hard work, uh, but I realize I'm an entrepreneur to my core and I love building things and I love being around smart people who want to change the world and it's a, it's a fun spot to be in. So my, my favorite part of this interview is we're actually going to start with a book because you do have a book coming out fairly <laughs> I soon, do, right? I do. Second book, right? Second book uh, called Financially Forward um, comes out May 14th, published by Random House. Uh, super excited, essentially wanted to write the book about all the things that technology is doing for our wallets. Um, it's kind of the self-driving wallet, if you will. What's the future of our wallets look like? Um, we cover a bit of uh, Bitcoin, crypto, where our wallets are going, wh where I hope our wallets go. Um, and I wrote it just because I, I think the world is a really different place than five years ago when I wrote Financially Fearless that um, did well. It was a bestseller. And I kind of said to myself, I think, uh, you know, for everybody around the country uh, to give people a better way to think about how do you, what tools do you use to make your wallet work for you? Uh, and what's the guide to do that? And so that's what the book's all about. So I've got a couple of friends that have written books 
And I always ask them, because most of them are in a position like you, right? They're, they're founders of companies. They're out there constantly. When? When are you doing this? Uh-huh. How do you get disciplined enough to, to do that? Yeah, well, uh, I will say this second book, I had had our second child, and I was You really like my, to do things all yeah, in I one like shot, right? Yeah, I like to do right? things all in one shot. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when you have a newborn baby, you, like, are sitting around a lot. And so yeah, that's true. Uh, I thought it was a great time to write a second book. Um, and I worked with this great woman, Annie Shapiro, and uh, we just thought it was a really good time to take a bunch of the things that we had saved and collected and to put together a great book. So basically, when the baby gets you up, you... Take advantage of that time and write at 3 a.m. Yeah, and actually, I, I record a lot. So I would put notes oh, down yeah. um, and just, I mean, I had good ideas, good thoughts, things we wanted to include. So I, I have a little black notebook I carry around with me. It's the same thing. I've lost all it like a ideas. million of course you have. flipping times. Of course you have. <laughs> yeah, and then I sit down and rewrite them. That, that's my so process. So you put them all on your phone. Yeah, <laughs> in, in fonts that phone. I can't yeah, read. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. God knows I will never lose my phone. <laughs> that isn't happening. I, one thing I noticed about you, and it made me smile, is look, I, I listened to a lot of interviews, read a lot of interviews, and you, the same phrase comes up over and over again over a decade. I'm incredibly passionate about personal finance. You actually open a lot of talks with that statement. Yep. Why? Um, and where did it come from? Yeah. Is that an early age thing or what? Yeah, so I just think, you know, having strong control of your wallet gives you control of your life. Money's a lifeline. It, uh, it never goes away uh, in the same way that health and wealth, it's there every single day. If you can't take control of your money every single day till the day you die, uh, you really don't have the flexibility to live the life that you want to. And at the end of the day, money is a tool. And it was actually, it, you know, I get really geeky about money. Um, if you go back thousands of years, um, money was designed to be a tool for flexibility so that you can live the life you want to um, and helping people better understand the tools so that you can do what you need to get where you need to go um, in a really efficient manner is what money's about. And so um, helping people have control of that, I really think it changes families. It really gives stability to people. Um, and at the end of the day, it's not taught in high schools or colleges around the country, Isn't which that, is bananas. That makes absolutely no so what So hence, uh, LearnVest, right? And, yep. the, and, the, and yep. what you did there. And, and if you don't know the story, Google. I mean, or I mean, good lord, I'm, we're not going to dive into that because it's well publicized. But again, I think I think discovering that at an age of 24 is what I think is so unique. Usually, yeah. that's 40s or 50s. Yeah. yeah. DNA. I mean, what? Yeah. What? I mean, for me, it was really uh, straightforward. It was when I was younger. My dad had passed away, and my mom overnight was juggling finances, and I realized I was like, you know, we don't learn about how to take care of your wallet. Um, outside of it, it's kind of like folklore, honestly. It's like your parents pass you down a few skills. Here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to do. But the rules are always changing. Um, how we think about student loans today is so different than 15 years ago. And our parents didn't even have student loans. So, I mean, truly, you need to be educated on the topic. Um, anyways, so I'm super passionate, as you can tell. Um, and I think it's because it's a tool that I have always felt like I wanted to be incredibly good at. And, and one thing I'll say, I think money is also dangerous. You can worship it too much. You can yeah. get to the other side of it where it's something that you obsess over and you need to always earn more. Um, it's not, it's a tool. It's not meant to be worshiped or ignored somewhere in the middle. Um, and that's the sort of practical, thoughtful advice I like to give anybody that I work with. And that's also the technologies I like to look at and invest in. 
So I'm kind of doing a progression real quick. So with um, at Harvard, right? Learn best and the, the story. Northwestern Mutual is 2015. Remember, right? 2015. So got the acquired. acquisition and then the first baby, like within a couple days, right? A few days. <laughs> and then another baby and sold, write a book. Sold on Wednesday. Got acquired on. Uh, uh, sorry, sold on Wednesday. Had my daughter on uh, that Monday. Good God. Uh, so that was a pretty crazy five days of my life. Um, second child was the book. And uh, and this third child that I just had a few days ago uh, was the new fund and the new book. So I always, each of my children brings out a very creative part of me. Do you name them after the event? That would yeah, be fantastic, that would right? Be fantastic. Come here, Capital. Yeah, um, no, yeah, no, exactly. No, we don't. <laughs> Completely different from me. I have four kids, so you're at three. Yep. Um, I can't relate whatsoever to any of that. It's insanity. Um, I heard you speak one time. I thought it was really interesting. I want to touch on this real quick, and then we'll get off of it. Um, you were talking about maternity leave, and I, which I thought was really interesting. Even thinking about maternity leave different, instead of giving me the 12 weeks, allow me to use it as I actually need it and applying that back to your event, right? Where, like, you, a company acquired... Uh, something you have for over 10 years, you sell it, yep. and then you have a baby and you couldn't control that timing. Yeah, I actually think that, uh, and I know the like legal reasons why it's not this way, but I really do think we should blow up the concept of maternity leave yeah. um, and allow women and families um, to take the, the 12 weeks uh, when they need them. Um, so in the early days, you know, you have a lot of family that comes around and uh, it kind of feels nice to get outside. Um, and maybe, you know, you kind of want your head to get back in the game quickly. Um, but, you know, as your adrenaline wears off months later, uh, that's maybe when you want to take some extra days off. And so, and everybody's different, right? C-section, so you, you really want to focus on what's best for you. But I do think um, a vital part of wealth in America is also how we support new moms uh, for the country. I mean, it really is incredibly important. So... Kind of in that vein. I'm doing such a stretch here. So you, you, you have a company of LearnVest. You, 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 you know, run it to be successful. You sell it. And then uh, you have the acquisition. And now you've got this new company. One, just reflecting back on that 10 years, is it like having a kid go off to college? What is, because I can't relate. What, would, what is that like? It's so interesting. It's such a good question. Um, your first company is like a first love. I mean, yeah. it really is. Like, and I'll never, I, I mean, it will be hard for me to top a company that I love as much as LearnVest. Um, and at the same time, you know, sometimes your kid has to go to college and like mom, mom has to like step away. Um, you know, this new company that I uh, literally, I uh, founded just in the last few months and in, uh, Inspired Capital. I, you know, we're calling it a new species of a venture fund um, built with people who have built and sold companies. Um, so, you know, you think about, you know, being the entrepreneur who, um, had more sleepless nights than I can tell you about, um, and more pain and stress and all those fun things. You can ask my husband, uh, there's uh, been a lot of wine over the years, <laughs> um, but you really, really want, um, people who have lived it and breathed it and been there before you need the empathy, you need the, the, the navigator, uh, and so basically Inspired Capital is, you know, as a firm is a entirely new species of a venture fund that is focused on helping entrepreneurs who want to be surrounded by people who have been there and done that. Uh, and so our investing partners have all built and scaled companies. Um, Penny Pritzker, who uh, is one of the co-founders of the fund, um, literally has built and sold 
more companies that I can name, uh, in addition to being Obama's Secretary of Commerce and, uh, you know, doing some really incredible things. And we just love to build companies. That's what gets us out of bed in the morning. And we want to help the best and the brightest do that. And if you want us in your corner, that's what our fund's all about. Well, I, I love this. I, I looked up the description you had. You can tell you've been in this space for a while and have founded companies before because you know how to describe everything in a single sentence. Early stage tech venture fund focused on supporting incredible entrepreneurs with proven operators. That's really good. Thank you. Yeah, you know, usually you read those and go, oh, whatever. What does that mean? That's pretty straightforward. Yeah, if you want proven operators in your corner who've been there and done that, then we're here for you. Um, and also, you know, the word uh, inspired capital came out of my mouth so earnestly and so simply. Uh, you know, I said it's kind of better than experience money. It's inspired money. It's people who really, really want to help you see, you know, whatever your vision is, you know, realized all the way through. So... Uh, it's right. Inspired Capital. It, and a great website, by the way. I'll just leave it there. Go look in it. Yeah, check it out. <laughs> I check love it. Out. Yeah, color Thank is you. great. Thank um, you. So, so just two quick questions to wrap up. Um, and both of them around the fact that you can tell you're a writer and a good speaker because you're a quote machine. Uh, it's a funny quotes to the ear. So two of them I loved. You said being an entrepreneur is like being punched in the face every day. Please explain more. Um, this is the best story. A great woman who I had the pleasure of working with named Audrey Kim. Um, she once said, lots of people ask her, what is it like to work with Alexa? And I was like, yo, what do you say? <laughs> yeah, you're just and sitting I there going, Audrey. Hmm. I yeah. No, I love Audrey. And I was like, so what do you say? She started laughing. She was like, you get punched in the face every day and you don't even know it. And, um, and I think what that really speaks to is just like truly the resilience that it goes to, it yeah. takes to be an entrepreneur. You just get such coarse skin sometimes that, you know, a bad thing will happen or somebody will say something. And I have just gotten to the point where it doesn't really zap my energy, suck the oxygen out of the room. I just keep going because you kind of wake up and you're like, oh, great. You know, three bad things have happened and it's 10 a.m. And for me, I'm like, that's a Monday uh, next. Um, and I think it sort of takes that energy. So she's she's the one who said it to me. And I remember just cracking up and being like, Oh, man, that's a really good way to describe it. So it's a perfect segue to the last quote. And this one I really like. It's my all-time favorite quote of yours. When the train is off the track, I realize I've become the best version of myself. That's a good, that's a good self-analysis. Thank you. Um, I think uh, what I have learned, and you know, I grew up in a family with uh, three kids, two older brothers, a lot of chaos, um, when things get really, really chaotic, really challenging, um, I go into just like pure focus mode. And I think the acquisition of LearnBest is a great example of this. We got acquired on a Wednesday and I had our first child, two firsts for any human to have them happen at the same time. And I learned, and my daughter ended up in the NICU. She was totally fine. But literally like everything that can happen to one human happens in a week. Um, and what I realized is I have this, call it like sixth gear. It's not even a third gear. It's a sixth gear that kicks in. And I just become like the calmest version of myself. And I'm like, I got this. What's next? Who needs me? What do you need? I got it. Let's go. Um, and so I think that, you know, there's this quote that my dad used to say when I was little, which is when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And I think that when the train goes off the tracks is like when I'm my best conductor. So you know what I uh, just visualized when you're saying that? Uh, West Wing, Martin Sheen is the president where everything blows up and he always ended with us. Okay, what's next? So what's next? Yep. Um, 
God, I'm like the most excited I've been in a decade. That's, that's cool. I have it? not only literal newborns at home, um, by Inspired Capital is I have this vision for the platform we're going to build. And, you know, I, I, I've also been there and done that. And what I mean by that is I know it's going to take a decade to realize that vision. Um, but we're going to build an incredibly special firm focused on the best entrepreneurs in the country who want people who will never give up in their corner um, and to help them realize their visions. And I think uh, I think I'm going to have the most fun I've ever had. I have uh, zero doubt that that so. isn't going to happen, honestly, based on the track record. Thank you so much. Thank you so much time. for having me. Honored to be here. Thanks. Thanks. Our next guest was Enrique Dubagras. He's the CEO and founder of Brex. Now look, it's not very often I get interview a 22-year-old co-founder who's already launched and sold a successful company, is attending Stanford while being part of Y Combinator, and has already raised a 125 million C round fund for a valuation of $1.2 billion for his current company, Brex. Let's, let's do the elevator pitch real quick, corporate card for startups. Yes, and now e-commerce as well. Oh, even better. Yeah, so now, you know, we do corporate cards for startups and e-commerce. So my second question is supposed to be, what problem are you solving, seriously? (laughs) (laughs) Anybody that's been in that space knows it. I think, actually, for me, the most important question um, from doing a little bit of reading about you, you did an online game when you were 14? I started when I was 12. So what what was the game? Um, It was just this online RPG that, you know, I shouldn't say the name, but yeah. So it's an RPG? Yeah, yeah. All it's right. an online MMR. I'm a massive gamer oh, uh, with my awesome. son. Yeah, big time. Uh, so Battlefield 1. See, like I said, I wasn't going to read the script. Uh, <laughs> so I find that fascinating. So at 12, self-taught? Yeah, I was a self-taught programmer. Um, and the story was that, you know, this is a paid game. There's a subscription. And I yeah. found out if I learned how to code, I could build an emulator for it and play it for free. So that was kind of like that is know, the incentive. Seriously cool. <laughs> and a great way to learn, right? To, yeah, 100%. To, to do I was a very business. motivated. <laughs> Well, you know, we didn't have, I didn't think it was going to be a business. It's more I just wanted to play, right? Yeah. But that's, you do stuff that's in your passion, right? Totally. Which makes sense, which kind of makes sense for Brex with your previous experience with other companies exactly. that you've seen. So you've kind of lived this, right? Totally, totally. So, you know, I, when I was doing this payment company in Brazil, you know, I had the problem there, but I thought hmm, it's definitely a Brazil problem. There's no way in the U.S., you know, this is all no a problem. No one has this, right? Yeah. When it called the Stripe of Brazil, is that the Yeah, Pagrami was, was like, you know, we did like Stripe in Brazil. It was actually quite different, but, you know, um, people know Stripe a lot here, so it's a it's good It's not a bad compare. comparison, yeah. right? So, so moving into Brex, right? What was really the motivation behind it? What problems were you looking at and trying to solve? So, you know, we were in YC and we saw that, like, you know, all the companies there, they had raised millions of dollars and they couldn't get a corporate credit card. And we thought it was dumb. And the ones that could get one had to like person guarantee it. And you know, no one liked that. So it was like, oh, okay, maybe we build something better, you know, and uh, solve that problem. And we already knew a lot about payments. So we knew it wasn't that simple to build something better, but we knew how to do it. And you're literally surrounded by your test market, right? Yes. Yeah. All the YC batch. So uh, they're all interested in it. So it's a great way to, to literally get customer feedback in the wild because you're sitting Understood. with them. But it's not like, you know, product where you can just code through in a week and, you know, get it. Like actually starting a credit card company is quite complicated. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit, especially yeah. in the U.S. But you have some interesting backers, right? Yeah. We, we can do some name dropping. That's yeah. all right. So correct me if I'm wrong. You got Peter Thiel. Yep. Looking at this, you got Levchin yep. from a firm that's in there, both back from the PayPal days. Yeah. Um. um how... How active as advisors are they for you? Is this folks that you can go into with the program yeah. and talk with? Um, no, they, I, we did meet them through YC. Uh, we just met them you know, separately. But 
I think they, we probably talk to them, you know, once every two months, maybe, or something. But in the beginning, it was way more active, just as the company scale, right? You know, you have a team and you have more stuff to do. So it's you and another co-founder, right? Yeah, me and Pedro. But Pedro's also from Brazil. We also from Brazil, also started coding really young, also built the last company with me, also got into Stanford, also came to the US. And also, also had my a age, so. mom that was, you both had moms who were like, what are you doing? Yes, so we both had moms who were doing, and uh, I got, you know, this legal notification for my game that I built. Yeah. And he got a legal notification from Apple for translating Siri to speak in Portuguese. So, you know, quite similar backgrounds. We love you guys so much <laughs> for, for all of that. Um, and thank God you kind of didn't listen to your mother. Um, I mean, how's it going with Brex? And, and I'm curious about, because you've done a successful company already and you've had that experience, why do Ycom? Um, yeah, Ycom is actually really good. Uh, we, we actually went in with a very different idea that we came out with. We went in with a VR idea, actually. Oh, okay. Seriously? Um, yeah, seriously. In what, in what type of aspect? I was like, we wanted to build external monitors for VR, you know, in VR, so you could like have like multiple screens all the time. That is completely different than yeah. a corporate credit card for startups. Yeah, huh? well, yeah. How was that pivot? Um, it was like, hey, you know, we, we thought we, would, we didn't want to do payments anymore because like, oh, it's so painful yeah. to do payments. And then, you know, into we're going to do something in the bleeding edge of technology. And then you're like, oh, probably not a great idea. So, you know, and we just pivoted within and really we went back to our roots. And like, okay, we know payments, like what yeah. do we do inside payments, yeah. That is one hell of a pivot, man. But, you know, when we got in, we thought that YC would be able to help us a lot with hardware because we didn't know anything about hardware, right? Yeah. Um, so that was the initial thesis, but it turns out they helped with a bunch of other stuff that was super good. That's, that's a pretty cool story, actually, <laughs> I mean, to walk in there, right? And then, but it, it takes a willingness to be able to walk away. The other thing is like, you know, because it was a second company and we were still in school, yeah. we didn't care too much. You know, if it didn't work out, you know, we we're still in school, right? Stanford? Yeah. If I remember right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and <laughs> we were like just three months into school. So it's not that, you know, we were very desperate to leave. Right. So it was not hard to give up on the idea. Like if we just didn't think it was something we want to work in for the next 20 years, you know? How hard is it seriously to do something like this while going to, you know, you're at a school that you decide, so it must yeah. really be tough. Is it, is it difficult to manage the two? I mean, well, be a student. Well, it depends on which classes you take, right? Like, um, <laughs> My daughter is not allowed to listen to this <laughs> whatsoever. You, you, know, you can take very tough classes and it's yeah. like very hard. Or you can take you know, a lighter class and make it very easy. That's, we that's, only took CS classes, which you know we knew a lot about already. Yeah. So that's, that's, uh, that's, that's pretty interesting. I hadn't thought of that. The, the fact that you're in school and doing Y Combinator and a business, that's a massive load you yeah. know, for somebody. Thank but God I mean, you're young. If you were running a startup, it's not that different in a row. You work 12 hours a day, you know, like, yeah. that's it. Uh, so Alexa Van Tobel, we're going to be talking with her later from LearnVest. I like one of her interviews. She said to be an entrepreneur is like getting punched in the face every day. Um, I wouldn't say that, but, you know, sure. <laughs> uh, another friend, Dan Kimberly, uh, a friend of mine, um, he said it's, especially in fintech, it's the ability to chew glass and just be able to grind through that. Yeah, Evidently, that's more true. Is that more true? Yeah, that's more true, yeah. Yeah. Because you have to deal with a lot of, like, non-optimal stuff. So, like, the banks are not, you know... Give me an example. You said banks, and we could stop there, but let's yeah, just go ahead and take that know, further. Yeah, regulation, they're, they're, the regulation was built, like, many years ago, right? Yeah. And, you know, some adapted, some not. And the U.S. has this state-by-state regulation, which is, like, even crazier. Um, so, you know, having to navigate through that or within partnerships with banks and networks, it's all like, you know, pretty old. And if you're a startup, like no one cares too much about you. And, and I'm curious in Brazil because I don't know. I mean, I know about Nubank. I know about what y'all yeah. did. 
Um, do you still kind of run into the state by state? There's just less. Uh, no, there's like, all federal. So the central bank actually regulated our last company. Okay. Which was a whole different set of challenges. Um, but you know, it was interesting. So how do you deal with hyper growth? I'm curious. I mean, you've been there. Man, it's, um, it's a good problem to have. Very, I yeah, think. yeah, definitely a good problem to have. But you know, it comes with its unique set of challenges because you need to learn to let stuff, you know, burn. You know, like you need to choose some things, and you're going to say, "Hey, these things are not core," and I'm just going to let it, you know, be not great. You know, so it's the it doesn't have to be perfect to ship yeah. concept. Well, that's kind of hard, but though. organizationally, because like. Think that for fintech, you know, you also have a higher bar for that. That's true. Because you know, it's people's money. So it's less about the product. The product has to be really good to ship. That's why we took like over a year to launch. Yeah. Um, but it's more within the organization, you know, like, hey, um, maybe our, I don't know, and this is not true because our market department is actually great, but maybe you just let marketing slide and you know you don't yeah. pay too much attention to it. Or maybe, you know, your sales are not as optimal, or maybe your recruiting pipeline is not as optimized as it should. Like all these things you have to just learn to live with chaos but actually like putting all your efforts and delivering a, a really really solid product experience because in fintech it's different than other markets where you can just you know move fast and break things you can't you you, yeah. you need to move fast and not break things you know yeah it's financial services yeah right? exactly. you're talking about people's money in their lives exactly um so so I, I, the way i the way i kind of took the tagline right it's a corporate card for startups in in that route which obviously is a massive market do you see it growing beyond that or or in the near uh, term. So yeah, no, we're definitely expanding to more verticals. E-commerce was the second vertical we launched, right? And yeah. uh, we hope to launch more verticals over the next years. So can you expand a little bit when you talk about e-commerce? That's people who sell goods online. Um, and the, the difference from the product... <laughs> a couple of people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, just just um, a few. And the difference between the product, like for startups, you know, um, the main value proposition is, you know, no personal guarantee, higher limits, rewards, good technology you know, receipt management, user management, et cetera. For e-commerce, the main value prop is that we give them 60-day free credit line with no personal guarantee and higher than everybody else. Um, and so you just win with yeah, that. A lot That's of a great proposition. Exactly. You know, it's the 60 days are, you know, whatever you swipe today, you pay 60 days from now. Whatever swipe tomorrow, you pay 61 days from now. You know, and, and so it's actually real 60 days. And, you know, the, instead of a credit card where you pay today, you pay when the statement closes, you swipe tomorrow, you pay when the statement closes, right? So you have less days each day until your statement. It's taking something incredibly complex and making it simple for the end user to understand. Super simple. And it's a time that, you know, they used to buy inventory, buy advertising, sell that inventory, sell the inventory, get their margin, and, you know, pay us back. It's a, it's a fascinating story. I mean, it really is. I love reading about it. The, the concept is incredibly straightforward. But the thing is, like, you know, that all these cars do wrong is that they bucket all SMB as, like, one thing, yeah. you know? Like, hey, SMB, you know. But startups are very different than e-commerce. They're very different than restaurants. They're very different than accounting firms. They're very different, than, you know, than, um, you know, hotels. Yeah. So you can't just bucket all of them and say, hey, this is my product for SMB, you know? Yeah. It's, as an industry in finance, we love to do that, right? Yeah. We're, we're, we, we talk about demographics or, or verticals and all that, and really drilling down to that level, horrible. Exactly. Added, especially in banking. Exactly. Okay. Well, perfect. Um, so for the listeners that want to learn more about Brex, where's the best place to go? Brex.com. <laughs> Beyond easy. Man, thank there you. you. It's thank a, you so it really is a cool me. story. Thanks. Our next interview is with Rianne Horgan, the CEO and founder of Kinder. I personally love the concept of her company, as it focuses on a topic near and dear to my own heart, retirement planning. 
And interestingly enough, I learned later on that our first guest, Alexa Von Tobel, her new company, Inspired Capital, invested $1 million in their Series A raise. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Rianne Horgan, the CEO and founder of Kinder here at Empire Startups. It's FinTech Week in New York. We are on interview. God, I lost count in this <laughs> bar that we're in, but the bar is really getting more and more appealing because it's almost three o'clock. So I don't feel so it's guilty. It's five o'clock somewhere, right? It's Yes, it's, it's past five o'clock in London, so we should be drinking. How's the day been? Um, it's been great. Really inspiring to, to see the conversation and so much innovation. It's got to be a little bit different from you not being at the bank and being on your own. Different feeling? It is. And, and I, was, I was saying to John earlier that um, I actually met one of my first investors here a couple of years ago. Oh, so it kind of cool. feels like full circle. That is actually kind of cool. So let's talk about the product itself. Why don't mm-hmm. you give us the quick pitch yeah. on what you're focused on? Yeah, so we're um, on a mission to help baby boomers retire fearlessly. We bring together insurance strategies designed to help them manage longevity. So we're all living longer. Um, and then investment portfolios that are designed to, um, to really manage like the spend down phase of life. So um, taking money out of your accounts. Uh, and then we do all of that with easy to use technology. So we have um, a retirement roadmap that helps you navigate all these decisions in America, Social Security, Medicare, when I'm going to retire. Um, and then we have a paycheck product. And the idea behind the paycheck is most of our life, like we manage our financial affairs according to our paycheck, you know, based on what you have coming in, how many times you can go out to eat. Um, and we're, we're doing that for retirees because that's that's the mental model they already knew. And it gives them a lot of peace of mind to have the same one in retirement. So this is an old stat. I'm probably going to get it wrong and you can correct me. But if I remember right, uh, 60,000 baby boomers retiring a day or something yeah. like that. Was always 10, I think it's like yeah, 10,000 a day and it's a couple crazy. million. It's huge demographic. They control um, people over the age of 50 control uh, over 80 percent of the wealth in the U.S. So they have money. They are 50 percent of the consumer spending. Um, and surprise, surprise, they're actually on the internet. And, and I was going to say, and how much, especially when we talk about fintech, is actually focused on that demographic. Yeah, the smile said the answer right there. Yeah. Right? It's, no, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? No, look, and it's, um, it's interesting because like, I think about it even just personally. Um, so I founded this company after like, helping my parents navigate retirement. And I always like, think about my dad still about what he used to be. So we always, and we did it again this year, Christmas, whenever I go home, we go to the bank, we go to the safe deposit box. And so in my mind, I'm like, he's still like old school, but um, he's Irish. He goes to Ireland every summer. He uses Nest and Ring to monitor his house when he goes away. He uses TransferWise to convert dollars to euros, stays in Airbnbs, uses Lyft, like kind of sounds like you and I. But he still got, he still has a safe deposit box, which I don't have. Yeah, and it is kind of funny, right? We we kind of uh, generalize on, on on demographics yeah. when it comes to age, when it comes to just about everything, and it's so wrong. <laughs> it's it is not and, even close. Um, look, I'm part. I think a lot, partially because I so I have young kids. I have a four year old and a six year old, and I I watch how they interact with technology and how they interact is so different to me. And so you can just see that this is like about like what you've seen and what, what your life experience has been like. My kids have grown up in this like everything is swipeable, touchable generation, yeah. which is not how my dad interacted with technology to begin well, with. Well, I'm, I'm be 53 this year, yeah. right? I can remember sending my first email. Yeah, I do too. You I know? was in my freshman hall dorm in college. Remember it. Yeah. So. I mean, that's just, you know, yeah. that that's part of it. I can't wait because I, I have some young kids too, and I can't wait till they're nostalgically looking back and going, yeah, we never... I have no clue what that's going to yeah. be. Well, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm slightly, so it's, it's funny now because I, one of the things I've always said is like, I, 
didn't think I would ever like bring my kids to the to a bank, and that was part of as I was thinking about like yeah. like will you open a bank account for your kids? But I, I have been proven wrong lately because my kids my son is learning to count um, in elementary school and learning math or learning addition and subtraction, and they've been counting out coins. So all of a sudden, actually like physical money has actually become yeah. real in our house again. Uh, but but it, but it took like addition and subtraction for first grade to bring it back uh, to make it real. Just for our London office, maths brought yes. your family <laughs> together just for them over there. Um, in the U.S., math. I'm sorry. Toss the S. So you launched this week. We did. How are you feeling? I'm really excited. Like we've spent a lot of time. Um, it is a highly regulated space. We're um, registered by with the SEC and with the 50 state insurance. Um, commissioners. So it's like a big, big lift and you're building and you're building and building. And it's really great to now be able to like be out there with customers, helping them make these decisions. So what's interesting with you though, and, and actually we've seen this quite a bit at this event. We've talked to, to different um, companies that are here. You, you got a 17 year career at, at Chase. You've been in the industry. You're not new per se mm-hmm. to that. But I like that you know, we always have the question of what was the origin story. It was the fact you've been taking care of your parents yeah. and getting ready Look, for it was retirement. two things. For me, it was I actually started interacting with a bunch of fintechs when I was at J.P. Morgan. And at the time, I was sitting in J.P. Morgan's alternative investments business, and um, a lot of the marketplaces were looking for capital. So they were coming to me looking for capital, and I was looking at them just amazed by their UX and became really inspired by what I saw and then had this, like, personal conversation with my dad going on, and eventually the two of them collided. So th- this is... Uh an opinion question. When you when you look at the large banks, so again, you worked at a, mm. at a massive one um, here in the U.S., do you think we are doing enough around a retirement? Because, I mean, we, we read constantly there's a retirement crisis coming. Look, I think um, I feel re- I'm really excited about what I saw happening in Washington this week. So just yesterday, the, the House um, passed probably the most radical re- set of retirement policy changes in the United States in probably 20, 30 years. Well overdue. Yeah. Can you, and, can, you, can you give a little bit more? Because we have a large European audience, yeah, too, so, for this. Yeah, um, so a couple of things, like some of the nuggets that were in there um, were, the first thing is that in the U.S., you're forced to to take money out of your retirements at a certain age. And that age has been 70 and a half. I think it was set in the 1960s. Minimum distributions. Minimum distributions, exactly. And so that's been delayed by 72. Is it enough? I'm not going to debate it, but at least it's moving it in the right direction. So in other words, it's money that was tax-deferred, and, there, and what it was was your forced to start taking out distributions so you're losing um, any savings that we yeah. get on the, any interest because at some point you got to get taxed. Exactly. So you're going to get taxed and it also sends this message that you should be sending down your savings. Um, the second thing that you saw was that um, there's no longer an age cap on putting money into retirement accounts. So it used to be that you ha- you could no longer save after 70. You can't see me like going crazy on that one. That's such a massive shift, right? Because so many people are working later in life because the quality of life has gone up. So why would you be capped? The third thing that we saw um, was some safe harbor rules around annuitization of what's called in-plan assets, which basically means that if your, comp- if your company offers a 401k, that they're protected um, if they offer you an annuity product, which is like wild to think of, like that you need protection, but there is a whole regulatory regime around that. Yeah. Now, what's interesting to your UK audience, like, you know, the UK is in a world of like having just paid out all these pensions. So I think, um, you know, there's this big dilemma out there, which is in a world where you know, employees don't have pensions, do we need strategies that help them manage it, which is really what, where I'm coming from? Or do you hand people a lump sum and say, figure it out? So so the reason our audience is like, why in God's name is Sam getting excited? Uh, my career in banking started in 401k management yeah. back in the night. I was working for Northern Trust, right? Mm-hmm. So doing 401ks and pensions. And what we've seen in the U.S. is the death of pensions, yeah. if you will, which is really uh, sad, mm-hmm. in my opinion. So it does get down to 
if you're going to live longer, how, right? What exactly. will be your quality of life yep. when you get there? So solutions. Is that best managed by an individual or are you better off pooling the risk is kind of the way I think about it. And that's, that's, that's ultimately like how I tripped into insurance was this fear of running out of money. And like none of us, I, I, my, my guess is neither you nor I know exactly when we're going to die. And when we don't know that, like There's pooling that risk. There's an AI that, that does, evidently. Exactly. I read about it last week, and I'm going yeah. nowhere near that damn thing. <laughs> but like, pool, like pooling that risk seems to make a lot of sense. And that's yeah. actually how I tripped into insurance, because I was trying to figure out, like, how do you recreate a pension? So a lot of people would look at this and say, so there's, there's a couple of factors for this. One being just general understanding education. Would you agree with that as understanding? Because mm -hmm. yep. this is a life event, and one I, a lot of us don't like to think about. It's a huge life event, and, and what I think is really unique about this life event is that there's a series of decisions you've never made before that you're making that have super high consequences. So I was drinking my Diet Coke before I came in here. Like, I decided sometime in my teens that Diet Coke was my preference over Diet Pepsi, and, like, you know, I've kind of gone with it. Sorry, Pepsi. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah. And, and maybe I'll reevaluate re it at some point, but when you think about, like, Medicare and Social Security, you don't really inter interact with them until you've got to make the decision yourself. Yeah, it's just and something so, that looms out there. Yeah, it's out there. You kind of feel like you should know about it. It's really overwhelming. There's, like, I mentioned earlier, like, 300-page books to, like, help you navigate it. Yeah. Um, and that, I think, um, from, a, from a customer perspective, is really tough when there's high consequence and you've never, like... You're like 60 and you've never figured these things out before. That's yeah. hard. Well, there's a, I don't want to use the word embarrassment, but that's, there, there, there's that piece of it too, right? There, there is a group that are natural savers, right? They, you always read about these mm -hmm. folks that retired in their 30s and you're like, oh yep. my God, how, yep. right? So there, I think there is that, there's that part of it too. Um, generally speaking, it was funny because the panel I was on was around lending, whether it be consumers or um, with small businesses and the whole idea of loans and everything else. Um, and we talked about the sheer debt numbers in the U.S. So credit card debt's 1.03 trillion. I mm -hmm. love it. Student loans evidently is more. It's yeah. 1.16. Yeah. Like yep. God, that's terrifying. You, you and I have both been around this for a while. When you look at the U.S. from a saving standpoint, what is it about us that we're just not a nation of savers? And I'm generalizing when I say that, obviously. Well, look, I think um, let's take the student loan piece as a starting point. Like, I think yeah. we've gotten ourselves into a world where we think that probably way too many people actually need to go to a four-year institution uh, to be contributors to society. And what happened and to so, trade schools, right? Ex for example, exa my dad was a journeyman iron worker. Yeah, I'm, I, and, I and I even think about in this new economy, like I went to general, when I left JP Morgan, I did like a conversion course and went to general assembly. <laughs> Uh, that was a great way for me to start like learning what APIs were and learning like the lingo and the basics of technology. And so I think a lot about, um, you know, what does education need to look like for this new economy? And does it does it really need to be paying three hundred thousand uh, dollars and coming out with a whole bo whole lot of debt at the end of it? Or are there different ways that we can educate people? And so I think I actually think that part of like there's how do you solve the student loan debt for the group that already has it? But how do we actually think like for my kids? Yeah. Like, will my kids go to college? I don't know. And is that Do a bad thing? Do they need to? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think that, that we have to almost tackle both sides of the problem, which is one is how expensive it's gotten and, and how do we help the consumer who basically is like going to have a really hard time getting on, you know, on the property ladder, as they say in the UK, yeah. um, because of all the student loan debt. Um, on the other hand, like, like let's actually think about, our, you know, are we actually equipping these students with um, the knowledge that they need to be able to be productive contributors to society? Yeah, I think it's a great point. So, again, just launched this week, 
What's the best place to go and learn more about the product itself with Kinder? Yeah, so you go to kinder.com. It's K-I-N-D-U-R.com. Um, what you'll see there is you can create your own personal roadmap, um, whether it's for you or whether it's for your parents. You can go on. Um, and then there's a lot of information there about our paycheck, um, learning more about the ETFs that we use, learning about kind of the simplicity of the annuity. It's all there for you to, to, to try out. So let's get you back on in about six months. Right? Absolutely. No pressure. And then, we'll, then I'll actually ask with you, okay, so how are we doing with users? <laughs> Thanks so much. Okay, thank fun. you. Thank you. Our last interview was with Mariket Cochran. She's an MD at Barclays US. Mariket has an incredible financial services pedigree, including being part of the original Marcus by Goldman team before joining Barclays. I always find it refreshing to find a banker who really does understand the challenges facing fintech startups and who has walked in their shoes. That's that's the key right there. Someone who's actually walked in both sides of the table. Mariket fits that description to a T. We're still sitting at the bar. We still have yet to have a drink. This is massively depressing. Our next interview is Mariket Corcoran. She's an MD at Barclays US. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us at the bar and still not partaking, but <laughs> we'll get there. Um, well, can you tell us just a little bit about your role at Barclays and what you do? Sure. So I'm a managing director within Group Innovation at Barclays. I lead partnerships and programs. And part of that role is actually leading the Barclays Accelerator, which is currently live around the world. We run it in New York, London, and Tel Aviv. It's a 13-week intensive program where we take early-stage fintechs, help them work on developing their businesses, fine-tuning their strategy, and getting them ready to market. Okay, hardest question I'm going to ask you, all right? Difference between London, New York, and Tel Aviv as far as the companies you're looking at. Do you see a difference between them? Um, there are similarities and differences for sure. So I'll start with Tel Aviv, which is the most obvious one. You'll find a lot of very technical experts, um, oftentimes coming from the military. And in Tel Aviv, we actually get a lot of applications um, that we don't normally get in New York and London just based on the geography. Yeah. So it's not limited to just Israeli companies. We do get um, other companies around that geography. So I think that's the biggest difference in in, um, in Tel Aviv. And a cool, it's just a cool scene. It there. definitely is. Good beaches too. It definitely is. I mean, what a lifestyle. You start off the day by going to the beach and then going into the office and then ending the day back at the beach. And then with London and New York, um, a bit more similar in the sense, of course, aside from where, you know, f folks are located geographically, but you get really almost what we call a barbell. You will get a lot of these young entrepreneurs coming out of school who want to create some or launch some new technology. And then you also get these individuals who've had, you know, 20 years in the market, have subject matter expertise in a particular business, have identified a problem that they now want to solve, and now they're coming back later on in their career to launch a startup to solve that very problem in the business that they've worked in. So, a second hardest question you asked, how'd you get so good at this? Because you've done this before, right? You did, kind of did a similar role at Goldman for a little bit? Uh, a lot of roles I had at Goldman led me to this. So at Goldman, just a natural progression. Natural progression. I worked in a number of different areas at Goldman. You name it: um, fixed income, sales and trading, operations, risk, finance, consumer servicing. And my very last stop was being part of the original team that launched Marcus. Right. So at Barclays, it's interesting what Barclays has been doing for a while. This isn't new for them. Looking outside of the bank and sure. looking outside for talent. Um, why do you think, as a, an organization, they're so good at it? The leadership at the top has embraced innovation and change. And, and it takes that, doesn't it? It really it it has takes. to be that top down. It has to come from the top down because no matter how much folks on the ground try to push it, if you don't have the support from senior leadership, it's never going to happen. So Barclays, oh, again, we're a London-based company, right? Obviously, we understand the footprint of Barclays there. Barclays in the U.S. is a little bit different, right? I mean, it's a little bit different of a market. Sure. Um, um, obviously, been down in Wilmington, spent some time there. 
um, with Barclays. How do you see the markets being different, especially on a consumer side? Well, in the U.S., you know, we we do have we also have the new office in Whippany, right, which we just launched. Um, amazing office. If you get a chance to check it out. I think there's been a shift uh, in the U.S. You know, there's this whole digital bank strategy now that, yeah. um, you know, we're really looking to turn Barclays into a household name in the United States as it is in the U.K., right? It's not just Barclays Center in Brooklyn where there are sporting events. Um, it is a really amazing bank with a strong investment banking franchise and a retail franchise. And the only difference is, you know, we don't have a local branch in every corner are similar to what we have in the UK. So I think that's been the biggest difference in terms of the two locations. I say one thing that Barclays does incredibly well as, as someone who's in London all the time is this concept of partnering Yes. Um, with fintechs. So how do you bring that into the US? Or is it already happening? I'm just not paying attention. It's, it's absolutely happening. Uh, we don't talk about it as much as we should, which I think has changed quite a bit because there is a lot of it happening. Some of it may be behind the scenes. And what we've really done is Barclays has tried and is really positioning themselves as uh, a catalyst for emerging fintechs to come in, show us what they can bring to the table, help us work with them where we can, and then really help launch them into the market. What we're trying to do is work with companies that have a product that we can consume, ultimately make ourselves better, and ultimately deliver better things for our customers and clients. So um, I'm going to give you a compliment here. You're very good at the storytelling side of this. Glad to hear it. Which is... I'm guessing that's that's an imperative both internally and externally in your role. It is. The ability to speak and drown out a crowd is something I do all the time. I try to not differentiate how I speak where it's, you know, imagine if it's a one-on-one conversation yeah. like this or a room with a thousand people. Well, and, and yeah, there's a, there's an art to it. Some people, it's, and I don't think it comes naturally to some folks, but I think in a role like yours, it's an imperative, right? You have to be able to communicate what the vision is. And, and how you, for a company that is at the scale of Barclays, the type of support they're going to be able to provide um, in programs like this. So one of the programs that Barclays has, I think, is um, and we love here, um, and you talked about a little bit, the accelerator program that they have. Can you kind of talk about the state of it currently? Where is it at? Sure. So the, the accelerator launched in 2014, and we just launched our 16th program in Tel Aviv this past weekend. So as I mentioned, it's been run around the world. We have soon, our London program is just about to close out um, at, in early May. At that point, we would have had 100, over 150 companies come through this wow, program. Wow, I was going to ask you how many, and I wasn't waiting, I wasn't expecting 150. That's a lot. It is a lot. It is a lot. And we've had some amazing success with a lot of them. And really, because they're so early stage, people, you know, would normally not think that you can graduate an accelerator and then start scaling or, you know, become a unicorn your first year. That's not realistic. Oftentimes, because they are so early stage, we're seeing the true measures of success with these companies maybe a year, two years down the line yeah. after they've, they've completed the program, they've had the ability to scale and go to market. So we recently spoke to John Stetcher, the chief innovation officer, to discuss rise, growth, investments. So it's a follow-on investment funding capital for the companies that are accepted into the accelerator. Yes. And I love that this program exists because it's not just the initial yes. engagement, right? Can you talk a little bit more about the innovation side for that? Sure. So the innovation side of the investment piece, um, I think one thing that we've recognized is traditionally with every large financial institution, you don't always get a chance to invest in all the companies that come your way. Yeah. Normally, you'll need a particular business to support it. Um, they'll have to see some sort of alignment, a successful POC, and then maybe eight, nine, ten months on the line, you can make a follow an investment or a follow-on investment in these companies. 
Well, John Stecker and amongst other members of the organization, we all realized that we could be missing out on amazing opportunities. There are strategic companies that we want to partner with long term that may not necessarily fit perfectly into one of our business lines. And so that's how Rise Growth Investments launched. Uh, it enabled us to deploy capital to these fintechs, uh, particularly at a time when they're trying to spend a lot of time fundraising, when they could really spend a lot of that time really developing their businesses. And it gives them that ability to get funding from us, show our support of, of their company long term, and enable them to focus more on development and go to market versus fundraising early on. Well, for the listeners who want to learn more about the program, where's the best place to go? There is an article uh, online that has a You're lot the of first details. person who's ever said there's an article. <laughs> there is. That's there a is, great answer. There there's is an article, an article out there. <laughs> Google which, which talks uh, quite a bit about it um, <laughs> for a lot of reasons. There's not a lot of detailed information published yeah, it about sense. it. But, um, you know, it's out there. So what it means is we have 10 million pounds of capital each year for each program. So that's 30 million pounds huh. that we've actually allocated. Uh, we don't have to invest all of it. Uh, we can invest none of it or all of it. And it enables us to actually be flexible in making these strategic investments. Well, thank you so much, man. I really enjoyed it. It was Same. fun. Thank you thanks. very much. Okay, folks, thanks for listening. If you want to join the discussion, find us on social media at Fintech Insiders on Twitter or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. As usual, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you really love us, and who doesn't really love us, please leave us a review. Five stars, folks. Five stars. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening.